Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Jake Cantor. On the show today, more cuts at the BBC, where local radio fills the pitch of the corporation's licence fee freeze. We ask, is local radio vanishing? Channel 4 marks its 40th birthday by changing the name of All 4 to Channel 4. Elon Musk's new ideas take flight at Twitter. Plus, Radio TechCon, we go behind the scenes at the audio engineering event of the year. And in the media quiz, we're playing Making Media History. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. In the news this week, YouTube is bringing streaming services to its platform in the US with a new feature called Primetime Channels. The Google-owned company has signed up streaming partners including Paramount Plus and Stars. Netflix launches its ad subscription plan this week. However, notable content is missing as it continues to negotiate with studios including Disney, NBCU and Sony. The Independent has put 52 staff roles at risk of redundancy. According to a report by Jim Waterson and Mark Sweeney in The Guardian, the need to cut costs has been driven by a decline in digital advertising revenue. And in an op-ed written for Journalism Matters, Labour leader Keir Starmer signalled his support for legislation that would force Google and Meta to pay for news. He also indicated that a Labour government would free the BBC from party political meddling, oppose the privatisation of Channel 4 and engage with more local newspapers and radio. On today's show, I have three radio buffs to help us digest the biggest stories of the week. First up, we have Trevor Dan, the Secretary of Audio UK and former head of music entertainment at the BBC. Uh, welcome, Trevor. How have you been? Hello, Jay. I've been absolutely fine. We're all at Audio UK, very much looking forward to the APAs, which is on November the 23rd. It's a fantastic list of nominations, as it was last year, and even more diverse and representative of podcast companies, online audio companies, as well as the traditional uh, broadcasters. And really good to see a lot of projects that have been featured on the list that were funded by the Audio Content Fund, of which we are hearing nothing at the moment, but we're still confident that somehow the government will keep that going in the future. So fingers crossed for that. But no, APA's November the 23rd. Be there. So you remain hopeful that the government might keep it open? Well, we remain hopeful that either they'll find a bit of money down the back of a sofa or that we can find somebody else to sponsor the audio content fund. You know, there are other 
avenues to cash in this world. And if the government won't um, allow us one, then I think as an industry, by which I mean not just the independent audio producers, but also the commercial radio groups who benefited from the programmes that were made, and community radio too, uh, that they all might find a a way of approaching other bodies uh, that might be able to keep the scheme going. That's the hope. Well, it looks like the nominees speak to the success of the project. So we wish you all the best with that, Trevor. Uh, Also with us is Anne Charles, audio producer and Radio TechCon organiser, and also a judge at the APA. So we've got APA heaven right here. Anne, how have you been? It's busy this time of year, isn't it? So yeah, we've got had the APA judging, which was amazing. There's so many different people involved. Um, the category I was judging had the most number of entries that I've known in the time that I've been involved. So that's brilliant. And then, yeah, TechCon happening on the 28th of November. So all systems go for that, which means the absolute worst thing I could be doing at the moment is moving <laughs> house as well. So it's not, I'm not stressed at all. It's all fine. You're moving house literally okay. today, which is, so we are honoured to have you. <laughs> Yeah, be packing the microphone up soon. <laughs> uh, and more on TechCon later in the pod. And finally, back on the show after filling us in on the radios last week is the marvellous Adam Bowie. Uh, what have you been up to this week, Adam? Oh, I've been keeping an eye on what's going on in the wild world of Twitter, I think, really. I think that's been uh, entertaining <laughs> me and scaring me in equal measures, but we'll probably come on to that. Let's save it for later. Uh, I'm sure we've all got uh, some views on Mr Musk and what he's up to. But our first story this week is uh, the BBC, and it has announced that it will be reorganising its local radio offering, resulting in cuts, redundancies and the redistribution of £19 million of funding to focus on local online services, including multimedia news. Anne, could you uh, talk us through this a little bit? You were a broadcast assistant working for the BBC East region back in the 2003, so you'll know a bit about this. Yeah, that's what I think like a lot of us started my career in um, BBC local radio, a wonderful training ground and also a wonderful place to have a career as well, unless you're one of the... Well, almost anybody who's working in local radio at the moment who, as of a couple of days ago, discovered that they are at risk of redundancy. So it started in true BBC comms style with the Media Guardian reporting it all first, uh, which got everyone worried. Uh, And then um, just as news of those cuts came and also some details of cuts to some regional television services as well, uh, then all the staff got pulled into an all-staff meeting and effectively got told almost everybody here is at risk of redundancy you're going to have to reapply for your jobs and they are planning to only have two local programs a day in the weekdays so they'll just be doing content six till two weekdays and then they'll still have some sports content so they're keeping a breakfast show and a mid-morning show but getting rid of drive which is a really important program for getting local news and also the afternoon shows which tend to have more of an arts focus around the country as well so very worrying time for staff not well handled in terms of the comms a lot of uncertainty I know that in terms of the television stuff so we're in the eastern region here it was split it used to be the largest BBC region it then got split into two and they're kind of merging those back again the staff at BBC look east west and the staff at BBC um, Oxfordshire, the television bit there, all got told that their programmes are finishing on the 16th of December. I think that the BBC East West lot, what, what name to make a programme, were so kind of upset that they didn't actually end up being able to get a show out and they, they kind of just did a pan-regional programme that night. So yeah, 
lots of people who are understandably worried about mortgages and bills and their careers and also the state of local democracy and local programming. So not a great time for everyone and kind of big solidarity really to everyone who is in that position because it happens to everybody at some point in their career, but it's always awful. Absolutely, incredibly unsettling. And all presenters are at risk of redundancy, is that right? All presenters, pretty much anyone in, in a production role, there are a few exceptions, but but yes, everyone's going to have to reapply for jobs. There's also voluntary redundancy has opened, which I'm sure will be popular. The BBC is also planning to have a kind of a re-evaluation of some of the posts and have some roles that are more investigative journalist roles and doing things online. But let's be honest, I think this is really coming because of cuts across the board. I don't really feel this is coming because there's a genuine grand vision for the future of local services. This is all a reaction to the licence fee freeze and rising costs and they're looking to save money. Yes. And Trevor, Liam Fogarty, who's a journalist in Liverpool, reported that BBC Merseyside listeners have been phoning in and expressing cold fury at the changes. <laughs> does that does that surprise you? Or not at all? <laughs> no, not at all, because BBC local radio supporters, listeners, are some of the most fervent radio fans you'll ever meet. They love those stations. They have them on all day long and they provide them with company and, uh, you know, all those good things that are hard to quantify when the bean counters are in town. So I can entirely understand that. But the problem is... BBC local radio costs 117 million quid a year, uh, as opposed to, for instance, 36 million for Radio 1. And it attracts approximately the same amount of listeners, you know, about 8 million people, about 15% reach. It doesn't look like very good value for money when the BBC starts to face up to the kind of challenges that they've got at the moment, which include announced yesterday that they're going to move out of Wogan House in West One so that, you know, the the, the home of Radio 2 and 6 Music and they're going to move out of another building in Media City. So, you know, anybody who thinks that the BBC is just cutting at the margins will not think that anymore. They really are cutting some bone here. Whether it's right to keep a radio station on air at all for 6am to 2pm, I doubt. I mean, and I'm sure would agree with me here, drive time, tea time, home time, it's a very important part of the day. And switching off at 2pm and going regional and turning into Radio Nowhere seems to me to be the worst of all worlds. I'd almost rather they close them down or merge them with Five Live or send them online or found something just a bit better than this kind of death by a thousand cuts. Do you think they could have kept those important shows and worked around it with the cuts? I think, I mean, you know, Anne was saying that everybody's job's at risk. It's very interesting if you look at the chart published by the BBC, it says roles not at risk include executive producers receptionists and administrators. Well, hello. Surely those would be the first people you'd have go. I mean, all the reports that have ever been done on the funding of BBC Local Radio by luminaries like John Myers and David Lloyd have said you could run this stuff for half the price. Get out of the big city, prestigious, you know, buildings in the middle of the city centres. Cut down the management. That's the main thing. Trust the people on the ground to make the programmes. 
don't feel it necessary to pay everybody to do everything. There's loads of volunteers who are currently doing stuff on community radio who'd be only too pleased to do specialist music shows and local interest programmes of one sort or another. Buy into that world and you would be able to keep more stuff on air in a linear broadcast way for the while that the market still wants it. And plainly, a lot of people still do. I think it's a very sad thing that although the BBC claims to be for everybody, here is another example of them saying, if you're over 55 or 65, frankly, we don't want you anymore. And we're going to try and get rid of you by cutting down the things that you listen to, but also by playing records you don't like. Adam, I know you can't talk about these things directly, given you work at the BBC, but I just wondered maybe if you'd give us a bit of scene setting about the radar figures and local radio. What, what do they tell us? Is local radio vanishing or are they still really important services? Local radio stations are still really important and they tend to serve sometimes slightly different audiences to some of the big national brands. Younger audiences are, are in decline which means a lot of radio services are kind of looking now towards the more heritage and older audiences who are still listening, and they're listening to still a significant amount of radio. But, you know, long term, we continue to see the impact of on-demand streaming services for people who want to hear music and for speech, you know, podcasts are impacting. But that's not to say that live radio doesn't bring something really different that actually any of those can't do. You know, and I think companionship is always something that we maybe don't think about as much as we might, you know, that radio is that friend to speak to you. Yes, that feels like it could be even more important, particularly if you're talking to people in their local area, that, you know, that, that connection could be stronger, couldn't it? We've seen a dilution of that in commercial. Everyone used to have probably a BBC local radio service and one or more BBC commercial local radio services. And we've seen those sort of merge much more into networks and... You know, you can do some clever stuff where you mention the towns and the local cities and towns in sweepers across the station, but where you've actually got presenters who live and work in the area and know the area and can, you know, engage audiences, I think that's where you you really, really sort of impress that that works locally. But, you know, the economics and commercial radio have changed and obviously we're hearing about now what's going on at the BBC as well. Yes, and this appears to be a trend across the BBC, doesn't it? I mean, you, you, you look at those local radio cuts, you look at some of the other proposed changes that they're making, you know, BBC Four, the news channel, all being cut back. Do we think that less diverse audiences are getting targeted by the BBC? I don't think that diverse audiences are not being targeted. I think the BBC looks at its numbers and thinks we're not doing very well in some of these communities and we're not doing very well with younger audiences. Let's concentrate on those people. That's a fairly defensible strategy. But doing that the expense of anybody who's been paying their licence fee for 40 years and is now going to be given pretty much nothing they like, that doesn't seem to me to be uh, something that we should all be supporting. The cynical part of me thinks that this is going to be the thing that's going to get a huge audience backlash and it's also the thing that we've already had MPs speaking up against this in the House of Commons because of course it gives them a platform in their local area to be held to account but also get their name out there. So part of me thinks that the, the cost savings involved in getting rid of some staff when you still got to pay for a building, you still got to pay for the infrastructure, um, all of that uh, doesn't seem to be that great. 
it. So I do wonder if this is a way of kind of saying, hey, we're in trouble here. We can't carry on with this kind of lack of funding. We're going to put something out there to say we're going to cut these services and whether they're banking on a bit of a backlash and to getting some of the MPs on board and maybe the compromise will be that there'll be a restoration of of a couple of shows like Drive, for example. Because, of course, the other thing is that done properly, local radio and local radio journalists should be seen very much as part of the national news gathering for the BBC as a whole. And when it works and you've got your local experts around the country, it works really well. But there's there's always been a bit of an imbalance between local radio and BBC News nationally and how much they work together. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. But that's another area where there's there's a real risk to coverage of the UK as a whole if you're getting rid of so many people on the ground. That's really interesting because, uh, as Trevor alluded to uh, earlier, uh, you know, the suggestion that the BBC might be using the licence fee freeze as uh, an excuse for some of these changes doesn't necessarily hold up to scrutiny, according to some. You know, David Lloyd uh, wrote that the BBC has simply been operating and programming these stations poorly. There is more than enough cash to be making this local radio. Do we think that the BBC is playing a bit of a political game here, Anne? Yes, um, <laughs> but I also I also think that there are genuine issues with cash. I mean, the problem is you, you never get access to the books in, entirely. And I know that sometimes how the costs are divided up between local stations, it, it's hard to actually tell exactly how much each thing is being run. You know, the perception that every local radio station is somehow, you know, everyone there is kind of driving in in their Ferrari in the morning and swimming around in a vat of cash. It, it, that That's not how it feels on the ground if you're a programme maker. No, but it can be somewhere in between, can't it? It doesn't have to be rolling in cash uh, and absolutely threadbare. There can be enough money to produce these shows, can't there? The people on the ground don't have any money. That's uh, been the case for, you know, the 50-odd years it's been running. But there are so many people in management. I mean, just have a look at the BBC regional or national family tree. You know, all these people call head of this and head of that and so on. There's far too much and it's all cuttable. They could go back to the old plan in the 1970s where you had one person as controller of local radio and then the next person down was the station manager of each station. That would be a perfectly doable system. They've been sharing managers between more than one station for for a while, but... Yeah, there's. <laughs> I suppose it's, it's easy to look at the org chart, isn't it, and look further up and go, oh, what do you, what do, you do? But I'm sure everyone who does that stuff is very busy all day. Yes, <laughs> and uh, I mean, local radio staff has clearly not done a lot to hide their disdain for management. I, I, I saw one bingo card of, uh, of management slogans on Twitter. <laughs> that brings us to the end of part one. Staying in the domain of audio, our deep dive this week is with the power duo behind Radio TechCon, the industry's audio engineering conference. And Charles sat down with Aradna Taylor to explain why anyone working in media can benefit from learning more about the tech behind it. I studied electrical and electronics engineering and then I sort of came across broadcast engineering by accident because like many, I thought a job at the BBC meant being on the telly and reading the news. <laughs> and it's really not. There's a whole world of people who make that happen. And one of the most important are the broadcast engineers. So we're the ones who are looking after all of the equipment in the studios, all of the equipment that you need in your production suites to make your programmes, get them on air 
um, and then look at what happens after they've been on air as well, how they get to people's homes from your building, from your studio. So even within broadcast engineering, it's quite a wide discipline. That is the thing, isn't it? Anyone who works in engineering and technology, we see it as a really creative and exciting part of the industry. And then outside, there can be a, a completely different perception. Like, do you think that engineering has a bit of an image problem? It's got a massive image problem. I'm quite horrified even today to hear people in very senior positions in our industry talk about you know, the boffins in the shed or in the basement. It's unbelievable that that still happens. I've been a broadcast engineer for about 20 years or so. I I don't have a basement or a shed and I'm not an old white man. I do occasionally wear glasses. <laughs> you know, I just think if we are still perpetuating these stories about what we think an engineer is or looks like, then how can we possibly expect to encourage bright young talent into the industry? I would say it's not my experience. I do find it a really creative and rewarding career. And I've had a, a brilliant career since then, and very much thanks to starting out as an engineer. Exactly. You're influencing what everybody in the country can see and hear. So it's it's an incredible amount of excitement and, and power with that kind of thing as well. Because if you get it wrong, um, everybody's going to know about it, right? <laughs> um, and you know that excitement of coming home, turning on the telly and going, I did that. That channel didn't exist. We did that. It's a really, really cool feeling. So moving on then to our, our joint love, which is the Radio Techcon conference. Let's start with the basics. What exactly is it and who is it for? So Radio Techcon is, I would say, the only place in the UK where the radio and audio technical community can come together each year. It's rare to actually have one place where you can focus on what other the challenges or opportunities or just celebrations that we as a technical community of engineers, technicians, many producers who are increasingly running their own studios, what is it that is of concern to us that we need to talk about or that we would like to share with each other that helps us grow as individuals within our own careers and also helps us to develop our industry. So what about then if you've got someone who's listening and they're like, well, I mean, that sounds great. If you're if you're an engineer, that's lovely that the engineers have got this event. But why should someone who's not an engineer come to TechCon? It's amazing how much you're going to learn. <laughs> you know, if you have any interest in audio, if you have a burning desire to start recording and promoting your own podcast, how do you do that? But we can also tell you so much more than that, you know, and kind of build a holistic idea of how do we broadcast radio? How do we record audio? And then when you go to producing or, you know, running events or whatever it is that you want to do, you will come across engineers, you will work with them. And isn't it better to do that collaboratively and in a way that we've had a really nice day together to get to know each other? And can you just tell us a little bit kind of briefly about what some of the sessions are that have been announced so far that people can experience? Because I think that will give people a good flavour of what the event is like. For example, I know that you're doing a link up with Ukraine. That's right. Yes, very excited about this. So we will be talking to broadcast engineers in Ukraine who've been keeping radio on air during some really, really difficult times. It's amazing what you can learn in terms of 
what might you need to know in order to keep radio on air. Hopefully you won't end up in the middle of a war zone. But what are the things when you're isolated, when you can't leave the building, when communications are cut off around your building for whatever reason, what are the things that are the most important to prioritise? We've got a really fun celebration of 100 years of the BBC. So we'll be looking at some... um, of the actual technology and some of the the gadgets that are crucial to broadcasting. And we've also got some um, sessions on what's next for radio, what are the things that we haven't thought about, and we'll be sharing some really interesting latest research on neurodivergence and especially autism and how radio and audio can be perceived and support all people with all different needs. Also, widening participation is incredibly important to both of us. So if you're kind of thinking, oh, I I don't know if engineering's for me, or I'd really love to come, but I can't afford a ticket, how can people get involved? Well, we're delighted to have a Radio Tech Conversary scheme So we reserve 10% of all places on the day for bursary recipients. And it's for anyone who faces a barrier to coming along. So all you need to do is go to our website, look up the bursaries page. All of the information is there. You're very welcome. So yes, absolutely. If you want to come, there's no excuse. You should be there uh, Monday, the 28th of November at IET London Savoy Place. And all the information is at radiotechcon.com. And Aradna, if people want to get hold of you, um, how do they find you? You can drop us a line at team at radiotechcon.com. Or if you want to talk to me about anything that I've been talking about today, then do just get directly in touch. I'm Aradna at radiotechcon.com. That's A-R-A-D-H-N-A. Or you can find me on Twitter and LinkedIn. That was Ad Charles and Aradna Taylor. It's time for a short break, but don't go anywhere. We'll be back after this with the latest from Amazon Music, Channel 4, Twitter, and of course, the media quiz. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas, big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. And we're back with our wonderful panel uh, for part two. Uh, we're going to be tackling some tech and streaming stories. So we've called in the help of ex-director of product at the BBC iPlayer, Dan Taylor-Watt. Dan, how are you? I'm very good, thank you, Jake. How are you? I'm good. I'm doing, I'm doing good. We're very glad to have your help for part two. Uh, you published a newsletter yesterday about Netflix. Can you give us a bit more info? Yeah, sure. There was a couple of weeks ago then Netflix put out their quarter three earnings and were blowing the trumpet somewhat about how, how much they've recovered and... The losses are in the past and the, the news cycle sort of followed suit. So I just dug in a bit into the numbers and looked at whether things are quite that rosy for the, the longer term. And they have, you know, stagnated in America, Canada, Europe and Latin America. All of the growth is coming from Asia Pacific. And I think there are some 
clouds on the horizon when it comes to their their longer term fortune so i just uh, unpack that a bit do you think the ad offering is uh, is the silver bullet i don't think it's a silver bullet i think it's a it's probably a necessary addition and i think the the price point is is reasonable it's definitely not enough on its own in view of all of the other challenges that they now face both on the content production side and on the uh, the competitive landscape. Excellent. Thank you, Dan. Okay, let's uh, let's move on and stick with audio briefly. Over at Amazon, Amazon Music has announced new benefits for Prime members with the expansion of its music catalogue from 2 million to 100 million songs and the removal of ads from a large selection of podcasts. Trevor, talk to us about this. I mean, I, I, I read this news and I thought, hmm, should I be ditching my Spotify and, and, uh, and sticking with Amazon Music? That was exactly what I thought, because I, I, I pay for Amazon Prime. It is going up all the time. So uh, you've got to consider what benefits you get from it. But the fact that it would be this competitive with Spotify, I think is, uh, is a very good uh, place for them to be in the market. I mean, other people know more about streaming services than I do, but I think if you're paying for Prime already, there is going to be a big question about whether you need Spotify anymore. Dan Taylor, what? I mean, what, what do you make of this? I mean, look, I mean, you, know, you, you, you could pay you know, $12 a month to get the Netflix catalogue, or you can pay $10 a month and you get you know, access to a lot more on Amazon, don't you? Yeah, I think Amazon's in a nice position to be able to treat some of these things almost as a, a loss leader at this point. Similarly, Apple, I think it's it's going to be increasingly tough for the likes of Spotify and Netflix where they are single threaded on a on a on a single business model at the moment. I think Spotify have done a, a great job at getting to know people and the effort that you sort of put into that over the years does mean there is, you know, for particularly for hardcore musos, there's a a cost of transitioning but I think for a mainstream audience it's going to be another reason to keep prime and potentially another reason not to take up Spotify or Apple Music. And Adam I mean do you, how do you think about BBC Sounds within this mix I mean BBC Sounds is I, mean, I think is a, a really excellent service but I mean the, the, the competition is intense isn't it? Yeah I mean the competition absolutely is all these things are offering something slightly different. You know, BBC Sounds obviously has a certain amount of music that you can listen to, sort of in curated playlists, and obviously all the BBC's sort of programming across that, including exclusives. I think what, what Amazon are doing here is kind of interesting because if you go back to when we bought recorded music, you get a certain number of people who spent quite a lot of money every month on recorded music. And then the average person probably only spent sort of 20, 30 pounds. You know, they bought two albums a year or something was the average. And I think that's where Amazon's fitting in here because what you can't do with this service, I think just to be clear for people who are thinking about, oh, I'll cancel my Spotify and just use this Amazon Prime, you know, I can't go in and say, listen to the whole of the new Taylor Swift album. It is there, but I'm going to have to listen to a lot of other stuff because it's kind of like the Taylor Swift album plus some other stuff on shuffle. And I can't just go back and hit that Harry Styles song and hit it on, on hard rotation and repeat, 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 because... So they, they've set themselves some, no doubt, quite complicated rules there. But I, th I think it, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting how they're fitting in and thinking about that wider marketplace. And I also think the, the podcast element of it, you know, they bought Wondery a while back. Now they're making that ad free. And they've done some interesting deals with people like CNN and the New York Times, where they're going to have ad free podcasts from those operators, which means there's some money changing hands, which is also kind of an interesting area. That is interesting. But 
So, just, I'm just trying to get my head around what you've just described. I've never used Amazon Music, so you can't, like, listen to songs on demand. Am I correct in what you just <laughs> de- described? So, so I went away and played with this the other day just when they announced it to see what they're happening. So they used to have, and they still have, they've got two tiers. They've got what they call Prime Music or Music Prime, and then they've got Music Unlimited. And the Music Unlimited still exists, and that's their Spotify competitor. That's their full range, 100 million tracks, you can listen to anything. They used to have this smaller version, which was only about 2 million tracks, and they've extended that to the full 100 million. I can start from a song, but then I go on from places, and it's kind of limited, you know, in terms of... I don't hear ads, but it's a bit like Spotify, the free tier of Spotify has some limitations built in. And in particular, you can't just play an album, so you can't just listen from one to tracks 1 to 12 or you know I think there are limits on playlists and how you can build those so that you know that full Spotify type experience that we you know those of us who use it are used to isn't quite replicated it's an interesting model they've no doubt had some really complex negotiations with the rights holders and the the record labels to get to this point and goodness knows how much of your annual Amazon Prime subscription is going into this but it's quite complicated to explain, so it'd be interesting to see how they market it. Well, it's fascinating. <laughs> I think that's a really useful insight, and uh, maybe I'll be keeping my Spotify after all. Happy birthday, Channel 4. Uh, the British broadcaster turned 40 this week. It celebrated with a lavish party for TV bigwigs at the V&A Museum in London. Uh, guests noted that Therese Coffey, the Environment Secretary and Liz Truss's former deputy, led the audience in a rendition of Happy Birthday during the celebrations. Uh, Trevor, does this mean privatisation is off? <laughs> Um, I think they've got other fish to fry, haven't they, in uh, number 10. I'd be the last person to uh, to predict. It seems as though the answer to every question from number 10 at the moment is, we'll let you know about that. Uh, we're, it's, everything's under review. I would think it's right down the bottom of their pile of priorities. It certainly seems that way. I mean, they've got so much in the intray, haven't they? <laughs> Just a bit. And uh, marking the 40th birthday, the broadcaster also announced that it will rebrand all of its channels and services under Channel 4, which means that all four will become Channel 4. Dan, what what do you make of that as a a branding strategy? I I think it's a bad idea. So I I totally understand the desire to rationalise the the brand portfolio, although I noticed it's coming just a couple of weeks after they launched a new brand in the shape of Channel 4.0. But I think there's just some really big practical issues with it, which is that you fundamentally you do still need to be able to refer to it in lots of contexts. It's slightly the thing that trip Sky up when they rebranded Now TV as Now and found themselves saying such and such a programme is on now and people thinking, well, it's on now and having to add a sort of, you know, (laughs) now brackets the streaming service. And I think a a lot of the labels that will get added to the end of that are not very helpful. If you say app, that's quite mobile specific, whereas most viewings on connected TVs now. And I think it's just a, you know, I was always quite a fan of the all four name. It felt like the four ODs hung on there for a long time in people's minds and, you know, still still gets referenced quite often. But it feels like they're, they're after many years, they're finally reaching a point where I think the, you know, their recent ad campaign around the UK's biggest free streaming service while I might, I might take issue with how they they're defining that 
I think the you know the product's in in pretty good shape, and it's going to take quite a lot of work to rebrand the services. I've done a fair bit of this in my time, and that's it's not just a case of switching out some idents on on broadcast channels anymore. It's going to be a significant amount of work for product teams to do that. And f- finally, I think the kind of the impact on the other the rest of the channel portfolio, which is referenced but not gone into detail, is is not clear. My suspicion is that they'll they'll leave alone very successful channel brands like E4, More4, may, maybe freshen up the the look and feel. But you're then left with, there's just two things called Channel 4, the main broadcast channel, which I suspect they won't want to do an ITV and rename Channel 4.1. Channel 4.1. And, and, <laughs> and a streaming service. And I think it's going to create more confusion than anything else. Also called Channel 4. So you're going to have continuity announcers saying, watch the rest of the series uh, theories on Channel 4. Exactly. And what not they this really one. mean is all four. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But not this one. You have to go online. You can watch it across mobile, online, you know, uh, yeah. your, your streaming platforms, list platforms. And, uh, 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 Yeah. It does seem like something cooked up by marketers, you know, sort of in isolation of what actually happens on screen. (laughs) Yeah. I always think they missed a trick in not calling it foreplay, which I think would have been on brand, but... (laughs) (laughs) That's good. I like that. (laughs) Maybe maybe they should be paying you for that. You should copyright it. And what do you what do you make? Do you think this is significant, or do you just you just don't think that? Do you think the audiences will care particularly? So I, I kind of take a slightly different view. It depends on how they do the branding, and I agree the on air kind of way of explaining how to find it is important. Maybe they'll just start calling it Channel Four Player or something. But as someone who kind of occasionally dips into trying to find stuff on my phone, I'm forever just doing a search for the number four because I can never. Is it four OD? Is it all four? What is it? So at least Channel Four's got that recognition, and so if if it's a channel 4 app on my phone or it's a channel 4 connected thing or it says channel 4 player though I really like the idea of 4 play or 4 player that's brilliant Dan um, then I think that that's actually easier than this slightly nebulous all 4 because what does that mean as well I don't think all 4's got a particularly strong brand either necessarily so channel 4's probably got the, the bigger brand recognition but I'm sure someone's done some tests Okay, let's head on to our next story. Elon Musk will charge $8, which is about £7 per month to Twitter users who want uh, blue tick verification. Uh, Musk has claimed it's essential to defeat spam and scam. Critics say it could make it harder to identify reliable sources. Dan, who's going to pay for this? (laughs) I think some people will, but I think that the not enough to make up for the advertising revenue shortfall. I think that's that's what this is really about. So I think that the yes, you know, reducing spam and bots is is a nice narrative, and Musk actually led with a sort of egalitarian the the current systems lords and peasants, and it's all power to the people. When challenged by Stephen King on the the amount, he quickly switched to well, we've got to pay the bills and. So I, I think it's it's really about trying to lose so much reliance on advertising. My first reaction was actually more sympathy for the product development teams. You might have heard of uh, Roadmap by press release. I think ro- Roadmap by tweet is, is even worse. And I think there's just going to be a lot of zigzagging and, and handbrake turns. I mean, it's, a, it's an interesting experiment if you you know tossing out feature ideas to his 113 million followers and seeing seeing how they react has not been tried before however it feels like quite a risky experiment when it's 
such a critical platform for journalism, politics, etc. So my suspicion is that it, you know, it will get some some uptake. I think also likely is that Musk will get frustrated with how long these things take to turn around. He sort of he's, he's already announce you know from from my vantage point months and months of development work and i think he's just going to find running twitter harder actually than running a rocket company or an electric car company because ultimately it's it's people and it's content moderation and those things are, are pretty complicated yes i read something this week which really resonated with me is he's not bought a tech platform because it's not the most sophisticated tech platform. What he's bought is essentially a community, and if he risks upsetting that community, then yeah, he he will he will lose users. Adam, you you suggested at the top of the show you might have some views on all of this. Yeah, I think I think the whole verification thing is kind of interesting because it, it, I think it serves two different purposes for diff- two different types of people. Some people see it as a kind of badge of honour, you know, I've arrived if I've got the blue tick mark. And for other people, you know, and, and I think a lot in the journalism community, it's you are who you say you are because it can be quite hard because sure if I follow you already I kind of know who you are I've probably checked I might have checked you out anyway but when you've kind of got someone retweeting it's around a big story and it's like have they paid for the check mark maybe they haven't paid for the check mark you know they're saving their eight dollars a month or whatever it's kind of interesting I'm still not entirely sure what you get for it you know as someone who does not have a blue check mark and is not being fussed about it i can't see why what value i would get from it the one exception being and i'll point this out is that if they make tweet deck exclusive to verified users then maybe i'll be forced to use uh, forced to buy it because and i think you know tweet deck is used a lot for people who are seriously heavy twitter users which i fear i am i'd be lost without tweet deck does anyone have a have a blue check no, I do, <laughs> but it, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't pay eight dollars a month to to continue with it. Those who do, who are not huge public profiles, I just think it's a mark of narcissism. Is it not? I don't, I, I, am I being cynical? <laughs> I think our old friend Matt Deegan made a very good point about this actually on Twitter, which is because his handle is at Matt, which can cause a world of confusion. He rather likes the idea that he is verified as who he is and that if anybody can pay for the uh, blue tick and call themselves something a bit like that, it does water down his profile, I think, on Twitter. It also seems to me that, I mean, Elon Musk seems to be making this up as he goes along, isn't he? He's just spouting out these policies. He seems to have sacked all the staff that could actually deliver them. He started off by saying it was going to be $20 a month and then he got a bit of pushback and suddenly it was $8 a month. And if the current system has historically had a little bit of verification of journalists and making sure that yes when when you've got lots of people retweeting things and it's that you're getting the right person you know that it's this the political editor for this paper is actually that one and not a bot with the whole direction that musk might be taking things in in this so-called free speech uh way it really feels like he's moving away from verification and authenticity and and any sort of trust being able to be left on the platform and also if you're kind of penalizing some of the people who provide the most value and the most content uh, that doesn't seem to be a great business model either and okay twitter hasn't really been particularly profitable but it's just been bought by the richest man in the world who overpaid for it massively so it can hardly be having that many problems financially that uh, eight dollars a month is going to be solving that doesn't make any sense either Another idea he's floated is the idea of subscription publishers allowing Twitter users to make sort of micro payments to access individual articles rather than paying for a full monthly sub. 
Does anyone think that that will work? It will entice publishers to drop the paywall for individual pieces of content? I do think there is a there is a slight issue with the subscription model that pretty much everyone's moving towards, which, you know, when I when someone sends a link to something, I don't know, the Atlantic or something, and I, I run up against a paywall, the idea that I'm going to then take out effectively a 12-month subscription to this magazine to read one article you know, goes against uh, the old days when I might have wandered into WH Smith and picked up maybe not The Atlantic, but something else just to read that one article. I think in the back of his head, you know, there's this whole kind of it's going to be, well, I think, the X app or something. I think that he's looking at some of the Chinese apps, which, you know, you can do everything from get your Uber equivalent to um, send money to your mates and split or split the bill at a restaurant and do it all within the single app. You know, I think he has got vague notions of turning it into something like that. So there's a lot more you can do with it. And making payments could be part, is clearly going to be a part of that. I think there's no doubt. So yes, that could work. Although it's interestingly, one of the first things he's done is killed off the thing that already that did let people on the Twitter blue scheme, I think, get certain articles ad-free. So I don't know if that's a, a sign sign of things one way or the other. Plenty more, I'm sure, to discuss uh, on the weeks and months ahead about Twitter and Elon Musk. Finally, uh, this week, let's play the media quiz. And we're looking at some media history in the making. I have three questions about media milestones. If you know the answer please buzz in with your name. So, Trevor, you will say... Trevor. Adam. Adam. <laughs> Dan, you will say... Dan. And Anne? Anne. <laughs> OK, it's that simple. Off we go. Uh, the British Film Institute has announced it will move some of its TV shows and films into the archive collection. Can you name one of the Netflix shows... That we digitally did. Di- <laughs> you you saved me from my stumbling question. So go on, Dan. Off you go. Bridgerton. Fantastic. Yes, that's correct. Yeah, Bridgerton, Heartstopper, and The Dig are among the content that will that will be part of this. What do you make of it? Yeah, I mean, it it feels overdue to me. I think if you'd asked me, I would have said that that's probably already happening. So I think it's you know it. It's good that the the distribution method, in this case streaming, isn't defining whether stuff's worthy of preservation or not. I'm not sure quite how they're making a decision about what is and isn't included, but it definitely feels like a good thing. And it feels like there's, you know, it's coming soon after the announcement that Netflix will be included in Barb, which again, it just, it feels like it's a, it's a maturation of the, of the streaming platforms alongside broadcast rather than the battle lines that have existed for years. If you ever get the chance, they do let visitors sometimes into the BFI archive and it's like that warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark with all the actual reels and tapes. It's fantastic. That sounds delightful. (laughs) I think we should all pay a visit one day, maybe record a media podcast down there. So question two, Dan's obviously in the lead with, uh, with, with one point, but question two is who had his debut on BBC Radio 2 this week? Anne. Dan. (laughs) (laughs) That was all of you. I think Anne just picked it, maybe. I'm going to go with Anne. Scott Mills. Yes. Did you listen? Uh, No, I didn't. I was in the middle of some other things, but I'll have to listen on catch up at some point. And on to question three. Which former health secretary announced his reality TV debut this week? Adam. Trevor. (laughs) That was very clearly Trevor. Go on, Trevor. Okay, well, it's the man who claims that he's... uh 
lost his marbles or that people think he's lost his marbles, whereas, in fact, he hadn't got any marbles in the first place. This is Matt Hancock, uh, who, is, uh, who is joining the so-called celebrities in the jungle. OK. I mean, clearly it's, it's created a hell of a lot of noise for I'm a Celebrity, which can only be a good thing for ITV. I mean, look. I think it's a brilliant booking. What, yes. do you, what do you make of it? Well, I, I live quite near Newmarket, and I can tell you that the people I know who live in his constituency all want uh, a kangaroo penis to be rammed firmly up every orifice of his body. They hate him. <laughs> Mrs Hancock is rather popular in the area, but they all hate him for, you know, running off with the other woman, and, um, and this will just compound his reputation. I don't think he'll stand again. And if he does, he almost certainly won't get elected. So, you know, watch out for, well, let's call it Matt Hancock's half hour. (laughs) Well, uh, I'm sure he will be nominated for plenty of Bush Tucker trials. Um, And, you know, it's a a three-way tie uh, in the media quiz, which means I think you all avoid a Bush Tucker trial. Uh, So Anne, Trevor and Dan, oh, no, I say all of you. Uh, maybe, maybe Adam, maybe Adam, you'll have to do the Bush Tucker trial in this case. Oh, God. <laughs> we'll wrap up there just to our listeners. Where can we, we find each of you? Adam, do you want to kick off? Yeah, I'm uh, at Adam Bowie on most of the socials or adambowie.com. Trevor? Yes, I'm at Trevor Down on as many socials as they'll have me. <laughs> Anne, when you're not moving house, where can, where can we contact you? <laughs> I am at Sparky Anne C on Twitter. I'm AnneCharles.tv on the web. That's Anne without any. E. And most importantly, RadioTechCon.com for getting your TechCon tickets. And finally, Dan. I'm DanTaylorWatt.com or at DanTaylorWatt on the socials. Thank you so much for sticking with us. We hope you enjoyed today's show. There are three simple things you can do to support the team so we can keep bringing you the media news each week. Become a patron of the show at patron.com slash mediapod. You'll be able to access an archive of deep dive interviews with media experts. That's patron.com slash mediapod. Or if you don't have any spare change, not to worry. Tell your colleagues about the show on Twitter or LinkedIn. And of course, follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice. Subscribe to podfollow.com slash the media podcast. My name's Jake Cantor. The producer was Phoebe Adler-Ryan with support from Matt Hill. And it was a Rethink Audio production. We'll see you next week. <laughs>